Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts serve to draw us closer to you, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. These are the first words that Jesus speaks to his gathered disciples after the resurrection. Peace be with you. Irene Hemen. Friday morning, my daughter Ella, who struggles with anxiety sometimes, got caught in herself, in her anxiety, in that loop of worry inside of her. I too get caught in that loop sometimes, thinking, planning, figuring, wondering, weighing options, repeating old conversations. And I wonder if that's the state the disciples are in when we pick up the story here in John. They've locked themselves in the house because they're scared. They've just seen Jesus, their Jesus, executed on the cross. Remember, when we pick this up, Mary is the only one who has seen Jesus. Mary's the only one who has seen the resurrected Christ. Last week's story tells us that she told them what, they had, what she had seen, but they still locked themselves in this house. They are afraid. And maybe, maybe they have that, ugh, in the pit of their stomachs. Maybe their minds are busy wondering, thinking, remembering, planning, regretting, stewing, because they're just humans, right? like we are humans. I don't think this state of mind, this body response to fear, to uncertainty, is reserved only for those who have mental health diagnoses. I think that this is a human thing. And I bet everyone here knows that pit feeling in their stomachs. So the text says, this is my translation, Jesus came and stood in their midst. And actually, I think this might be the most important part of this story. Jesus met them. He met them right in their fear. He met them in their unbelief, in their uncertainty. He showed up in their darkness. And he gave them exactly what they needed. Peace be with you. And then he shows them his wounds. He released them from their unbelief and set them free to follow without reservation. And again, he says to them, peace be with you. The second time is different, though. It is attached to, as the Father sends me, so I send you. Okay, so just to recap, we have, peace, it's me, it's okay. The disciples go, hooray, it's Jesus. And he goes, peace, now go do some stuff. It's immediate. As soon as they recognize him, as soon as they testify to who he is, he's like, 
All right, let's get crack a lacking. This is what faith is. It is grace in action, divine influence on the heart, and it's responsive action in the life. Divine influence on the heart, and it's responsive action in the life. God sends shockwaves of love right to us. Jesus shows up, and immediately our cup overflows and pours out all over the rest of the world. So you know what else is cool about this? This story is written in the past tense, except for this one little snippet. The Greek reads, the doors where the disciples met were locked, past tense. Jesus came, past tense, and stood in their midst, past tense, and he says to them, peace to you, present tense. He says, to them. Not said. We're talking. Present, active, indicative tense. This tells us that, yeah, Jesus showed up in their midst in that physical location in that specific time to those disciples, but he says to his disciples, he keeps on speaking. He says to us, peace be with you. He says to us, as the Father sends me, so I send you. He carries on saying this to his disciples through the ages, in every new place, at every new time, to every gathered group just like us trying to hide out from that scary world. Jesus is present now in every now. So the story carries on. After he said this, he breathed on them and says to them, receive the Holy Spirit, present tense. So Jesus shows up in their distress. He blesses them with his kind of peace, soul peace. And he calls them into service and then he equips them to do the work. This is good news. One other juicy little tidbit that is sort of hidden here for us 2017 listeners, but would have been very plain for those first and second century hearers of this story, is Jesus' reference to Genesis and Ezekiel in his action of breathing on the disciples. Genesis 2-7 reads, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Jesus breathes the life of the new covenant, the new way of living, and the disciples become fully alive, filled with the Spirit. Ezekiel 37.9 reads, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. Jesus breathes real life into his disciples. Jesus breathes real life into his disciples. Present tense for us now. But this isn't just to heal our old wounds. 
to grow us closer to him. This isn't just to shape us more and more like Christ. It is. But it isn't just. He breathes the spirit into his disciples. He fills them with the light and love of God so that they can carry on his work of sharing the light and love of God with the rest of the world. As the Father sends me, so I send you is no small task. This is not just about spending the extra $3 a pound on fair trade coffee because you care about the life of a Peruvian farmer. It is, but it isn't just. It is about allowing God to work on us through the Spirit, molding us to be more and more like Christ so that our lives, the way we move about, the very way we exist in the world, bears witness to the light and love of God. So as the story goes, Thomas was not with the others when the risen Christ appeared to them. And when they testify what they have witnessed, he's like, Mm-mm, no way, I gotta see this for myself. Again, that's my translation. And so for centuries, he's dubbed doubting Thomas. But Thomas is no doubter. Thomas is, first of all, practical. Pastor Ryan's been preaching through the Gospel of John this Lent, and it isn't the first time Thomas appears to us. Last time we heard from him was chapter 14, when Jesus is trying to share with his disciples about his impending death and his ascension to heaven, and Thomas is like, uh, excuse me, Jesus, I have no idea what you're talking about. Again, that's my translation. Thomas has made clear to us over and over and over again through the Gospel of John that he is a straight-shooting, no-nonsense kind of guy. So we shouldn't really be surprised by his somewhat crass, perhaps rather dramatic statement, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and shove my fingers in the mark and stick my hand in the hole in his side. I will absolutely not believe. This is not doubt. This is unbelief. These are the conditions of his faith. He wants hard evidence. He wants an eyewitness account of the risen Jesus. But you know what? Why shouldn't he? Thomas has this label, doubter. But all he's actually asking for is what all the other disciples have already received. We don't know what happened after Mary proclaimed Jesus Christ as risen to the other disciples after she encountered him in the garden. But we do know that they weren't out spreading the good news. They locked themselves in a room. They too had unbelief. It's not until Jesus shows up and hangs out with them for a little bit that they figure it out and start telling everyone they know. So here it is again. Just as Mary told them, they tell Thomas, and he stays locked away in his own fear and unbelief. 
until, until Jesus meets him in his fear and unbelief and gives him exactly what he needs. This isn't about proof. It is, but it isn't just. It is about encountering God firsthand. Thomas got what everyone else got, a one-on-one with Jesus. And this is a tremendous truth about our faith. It is about relationship. It is about deep and abiding presence with God. I can't have faith based on your encounter. But also, I cannot have an encounter without hearing your testimony about experiencing God. And that is the example that we have again and again through the Gospel of John. Someone encounters Jesus. They then tell someone else about their encounter, and that other person is rather reluctant to believe. But then they have their own encounter, become convinced, and tell someone else. Andrew tells Peter. Philip tells Nathaniel. The Samaritan woman tells the whole town. Same thing here. We have Mary Magdalene, the disciples, and Thomas. This is like the original Amway or Mary Kay. You tell five friends, and they tell their friends, and they tell their friends. Except instead of seeking something from the person you're telling, you're giving something. It is about trying to gift them with something, about making their lives better, fuller, spilling over with the light and the love of God. So our reading today ends with, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name which basically puts us next, after Thomas. We've now been told the good news. We are primed for our very own God encounter. Are we ready? Maybe you too have locked yourself in a room. Don't worry, we just heard Jesus can get in there. Maybe you, too, feel the need for proof. You want to stick your fingers in the holes in his hands and the hole in his side. We just heard, it's not too much to ask. We are met where we are at, and we are given what we need. This whole gospel points us to the truth that we follow a God that loved us so much he chose to slip on some skin and hang out with us for a while only to experience the most intense kind of suffering imaginable. This is a God that is not afraid of your pain. This is a God that enters into pain. This is a God that sees our pain, our fear, and shows up and looks us in the eye and says, peace. 
and our storm is calmed. Jesus showed up on Friday morning in Ella's anxiety as she remembered the Hebrew word for God, Yahweh, which sounds like an intake and exhale of breath. She spoke God's name, breathing in and breathing out in the same way that Thomas gasped, my Lord, my God, when Jesus met him in his fear. Because he does. He meets us every time in our fear, in our doubt, in our unbelief. And as soon as our storm is calmed, he says, good. Now go do that for someone else. May it be so for each one of us. Amen? Amen.